profiting from such a thing as violence and death, that is wickedness that follows you like a shadow. Sarah Winchester. File and Vice contains graphic and or explicit content, which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Violent Vice. My name is Audie Griffith. And I am John John. Hello. Hello. If you guys could do us a favor, hit that subscribe button, leave us a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. And welcome to episode 54. So if you couldn't guess by today's quote, we are going to cover the Winchester Mystery House. Yeah, like Supernatural, the Winchester Brothers, right? Not really, but we'll, we'll kind of get there. I mean, there is a Winchester rifle that's, like, in the show that's very, very important at, at a couple parts in the seasons, but yeah. Oh, so it has nothing to do with two brothers that keep on sort of dying, but not really in Kill God and whatnot. Yeah, and hunt monsters and everything. I mean, the God Killing's kind of season 15, but yeah. Yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Speaking of which, Jensen Ackles was amazing in The Boys. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. If he, I don't know. I, don't, if, I haven't watched The Boys, so I have no idea. Oh my god, it is like the best show. Not for kids. Very rated R. It's basically if DC superheroes were dicks, and it's hilarious. So, have you watched the movie The Watchmen? I have not. From what I've been told, it's like a TV series that was that is basically how the watchman was supposed to go gotcha but yeah it's, it's like superheroes but it's not all fun and whimsical it's actually got the dark side of everything on it yeah the boys is like superheroes but they're kind of all jerks and assholes and it's it's kind of funny so like realistic if people had superpowers not everybody pretty much super good yeah, yeah. It's just like, I have superpowers, leave me alone, I'm a dick, because I can be. Yeah, and, can oh, it, it's it's hilarious. Like, everything you think they wouldn't do, they do, and it's, I, I laughed so hard. Like, it's uh, such dark sense of humor, but it's hilarious. It's it's a mm-hmm. great TV show. Can't recommend it enough, but, mm-hmm. um, sorry. <laughs> uh, Is that similar? Have you watched Invincible? Yes, it's very similar to Invincible. Okay, because I've seen... I don't think I've actually finished Invincible. Oh, it's so good. I, I know, I just I haven't gotten to it. But still. But still, from Winchester's to Jensen Ackles to The Boys, let's get back to Sarah Winchester and the Winchester Mystery House. All right. So... The woman behind this famous house. So prior to building the Winchester Mystery House, and perhaps to the dismay of a lot of horror buffs, Sarah Winchester was actually a very ordinary but wealthy woman. She was born in New Haven, Connecticut to an upper-class parents around 1840, and Sarah Winchester had enjoyed the spoils of luxurious life growing up. Her father, Leonard Pardee, was a successful carriage manufacturer, and her mother was a popular with upper elites of New Haven society. The family ensured that their seven children were all very well-rounded. Sarah learned four languages as a child and was admitted to the Young Ladies Collegiate Institute at Yale College. Her high position in society put Sarah in an excellent position for marriage to an equally privileged man. To make matters easier, the Pardee family was acquainted with several other affluent families through their church, and by the time that Sarah was the age to marry, her parents had already had someone in mind, a man who would ensure their daughter would be taken care of for the rest of her life. His name was William Wirt Winchester. So, the background of William Wirt Winchester. The only... Still, though. Middle name needs work. Wirt. It's W-I-R-T. Wirt. <laughs> I feel like that makes it worse, doesn't it? A little like if it bit. was an A, it would be like, okay, that that's sort of, at least it's a word, but 
worked. Yeah. Well, okay, if you want to go down a really funny road, look up strange names of the 1800s. So, like, you get, uh, you get, like, stuff like dust and, um, uh, vengeance and, like, weird, weird, like, adjectives as names for people. Okay, so it's sort of just, like, it actually, like, that sounds like it's more of the traditional way of doing stuff, because, like, all of, like, common names that are just names and don't seem to have a meaning anymore... You look it up, and it was just, they were basically those things, just in a different language. Yeah, adjectives from different, like, regions and everything, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, naming a guy runner is not too strange. Hunter is not a bad, like, mm-hmm. an, a strange name, but along those same lines. Yeah. But, yeah. But um, they were a little bit more strange in the 1800s. A lot of them were, like, long, and some of them were just, like, weird. So if you want a good way to burn a Friday night, just start looking up weird 1800s names. Like, is there a lot of, like, yeses or, like, something like a loquacious or something like that? Stuff kind kind of like that. Like, there's sorrowful, dust, um, I'm trying to think of others... But very, like, Puritan culture names that just don't make sense for it being a name, if that makes sense. She's like, that's sorrowful over there. She's pretty happy. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, that I can see that being funny in a lot of ways, but... Yeah. Anyway. Anyways. What's up with this? What, what Was it William Wirt? Yep, William Wirt Winchester. Okay, triple W's. Yep, www.violentbias.com. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Okay. <laughs> All right, so he, William Wirt Winchester was the only son of firearms manufacturer Oliver Winchester. William was heir to the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. The company had made a name for themselves as one of the first to mass-produce firearms with the ability to fire multiple rounds without reloading. In particular, the 1873 model was incredibly popular with settlers and was widely used during the American Indian Wars. Between the massive sales and the increasing popularity, the Winchester family amassed quite a fortune, a fortune that would one day become the foundation of Sarah Winchester's strange obsessions. So... Just for those that don't know firearms, like this was the uh, a mass-produced, basically eight-chamber pistol, so you didn't have to reload constantly. Mm-hmm. Like it, like it went from muskets to Winchesters. Yep, muskets and basically. shotguns to Winchesters. Like Winchesters revolutionized, basically the arms race between. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the revolver pistols and stuff like that was also like pretty common around those times, but this was. This is the revolver pistol, the uh, eight-chamber, yeah. yeah. Yeah, where it's just like, you just click, fire, click, fire, click, fire, click, fire, click, fire. This is the sh- this is the quick shots, like Billy the Kid and stuff like that. This is the kind of stuff they'd be buying. Yes, think Wild West. Like, that is very much mm. what everyone is buying nowadays. So, yeah. Like, um, do you still have classic Winchester? I think it's still a pretty... Sought-after gun. Yeah. Yep. Now, uh, just to kind of elaborate on that a little bit. So prior to this, you had like the muskets, bayonets, shotguns, like the two shot guns. So you would have to like load your gunpowder, load your bullet, pat it down and then fire. So like this was a very quick shooting gun. Mm -hmm. Like this, it literally would change like the reloading time even for these things would take less time than it's like a shot between a shot for a musket that could probably take almost a full minute where you could fire all eight rounds reload and fire all eight rounds again and reload one more time and be finished by the time the musketeer only fires once so it twice but yes yes twice sorry yeah but yeah it's it literally changed the game it did. Um, think of it as, like, the Ford car for guns, if that makes sense. The Model oh. T for guns is how it's kind of equated to. Yeah. 
Just ne- like the one that started the whole movement. Yep. Now, mm-hmm. let's get on to Sarah and William's marriage. William and Sarah Winchester married in September of 1862. During their marriage, William worked as a treasurer for his family's company alongside his father. Four years into the marriage, Sarah bore a daughter named Annie Party Winchester. Now, unfortunately for the Winchesters, Joy, it would be very short-lived. Just 40 days after her birth, young Annie would die of mar- mass, or marimus, yeah, marimus, a rare disease in which the body suffers malnutrition due to the inability to metabolize proteins. So she wasn't able to metabolize her milk or uh, any of the breastfeeding, so essentially she starved to death, and it's a very uh... rare disease. So it's so, like somebody, like it would be a baby that if baby formula was invented would be alive? But no, uh, they would need a feeding tube. Baby formula wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to metabolize that either. Oh. So like. So it would be like an IV feeding thing. Yeah, think like you cannot metabolize your food. Oh. So, so it just literally goes right through you. Yeah, it, it's a very rare disease, um, and it it's still, you know, if, if unfounded, could be deadly today, but they do know how to catch that and know the signs for malnutrition in babies, but it, it was untreatable back then, and it caused a lot of hardship on Sarah, thinking that she was an inept mother or whatnot because the baby couldn't take her milk and didn't benefit mm-hmm. from her milk. So mm-hmm. she felt a lot of guilt surrounding Annie's death. And by some accounts, Sarah never quite recovered from the death of her infant daughter. Though she and William would remain married, Sarah became increasingly distressed, often over the company's and thus her own wealth. In her eyes, the Winchester family business profited from death suffering, and she couldn't cope with what she considered the blood money. To further complicate matters, William's father, Oliver, died in 1880, leaving the company in the hands of his only son, then, just a year later, William himself suddenly fell ill and died from tuberculosis, leaving everything to Sarah. So, suddenly, Sarah Winchester was in possession of a $20 million fortune, equivalent to about $500 million in the present day, as well as a 50% stake in the Winchester Arms Company. Though she never took up a position at the business, her stake left her with a continuous income of about $1,000 a day, uh, which is about equivalent to twenty six thousand dollars a day in twenty nineteen. That's the latest stat for it. Yeah, so essentially, she was just like she didn't need to work; she was getting money. Yeah, like she had more money than she knew what to do with. Mm-hmm. So, in a short period of time, Sarah Winchester lost not only her daughter, her husband, and her father in law, and then gained a fortune capable of keeping a small country afloat. Now, the only question is, what was she going to do with it? So, I do want to get into that Sarah, due to all this death and um, a lot of kind of dark dark uh, things in her life, she took to spiritualism, which was very popular at this time. I think, especially in that time for, like, aristocracy, those of wealth and stuff like that, because... One, there wasn't, like, as many theaters, operas, movies and all that stuff. Radio wasn't invented. Like, none of that stuff was really there. So it was, like, a form of entertainment for some of these people where they would just get really into these strange hobbies because they're rich, we have money to throw at somebody, and you seem interesting, let's see what happens. You're 90% right with that. So theaters and operas were really popular at this time, but yes, it was a high society Mm -hmm. thing to have spiritual uh, events in their parlors, and like this was definitely a thing that you would do at parties. Like You would Mm -hmm. have seances or seance parties at this time. Yeah. But it's like you couldn't do that, do the opera and theater whenever you wanted or like maybe you didn't live as close to it where you could literally bring these people into your house. Yes. And just you made that the party. Yep. So in Sarah Winchester's opinion, again, her newfound fortune was all blood money earned from what she saw was the untimely deaths of thousands of thousands of people. 
In her search for what to do with the money, Winchester sought the help of a medium in Boston, a few hours north of her New Haven home. As the story goes, Sarah shared her guilt all over the numerous victims of the Winchester guns with the medium. According to him, Sarah would be tormented unless she appeased the spirits of these victims. He told her that the only way to do that was to move west and build a house for the lost souls to live in. Not one to risk eternal damnation at the hands of angry spirits, Sarah Winchester made it her mission to follow the medium's advice. Soon after her visit, she packed up and moved far west from New England as she could to the sunny bayside city of San Jose, California, which is right by me. And we did go see the Winchester house, which I'll talk about at the end of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. So... Mind you, she took the advice of the spiritualist. She was a very depressed woman at this time, very easy to manipulate. So she followed this guy blindly. And this guy could have had a vendetta against her, too. But Maybe. I don't know. We might find out. Are we going to find out? We aren't. But it's just speculated that um, this guy wasn't... Yeah, it's just like, I am doing this for literally some food tonight, and you have too much money to even know what to do with. Do all this stuff and spend all your money. Pretty much. Just, like, either some along those lines, or maybe for some reason she, like, sneered at him once, and that just got personal after that. Or, you know, maybe you had a family member die of a someone shooting a Winchester rifle or something like that, too. Could be. Could be. Yeah. But anyways, let's get to the house. In 1884, Sarah Winchester purchased an unfinished farmhouse in the Santa Clara Valley, and the house was called La Landa Villa. Having a passion for architecture, she enlisted the services of the teams of carpenters, and she directed them to build directly onto the farmhouse as she saw fit. So she had a passion for architecture. She was basically the architect for this house. And she did quite a few like futuristic things to this build. And um, it was all very unique. But again, she had a passion for architecture. So she basically took mm-hmm. it upon herself to be the architect of her own house. Basically, knowing that she had the money to fund her imagination, she let it run wild on her architectural knowledge. Uh, I mean, she just kept designing, redesigning, rebuilding, building new, yeah. and just went wild with it. Yeah, but she did have some architectural knowledge, probably she, because of her upbringing. Yeah, she did. Um, and she had a passion for it. it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Between her dad, uh, college, and just her experiences in the affluent couples that she mm-hmm. hung around with, she, she did gain a passion for it. So she essentially was set on a course to build her absolute dream house. Well, I wouldn't say, like, that was her only focus while growing up, but she did like building things and, like, seeing how things worked. So Mm. it was something that she enjoyed. Okay. So before long, the rundown farmhouse was a seven-story mansion built by a team working around the clock while the Winchester while Sarah Winchester was also regularly visited by spiritualists and mediums from across the city. According to local legend, Winchester invited these spiritualists to direct her on how to best appease the spirits, still it would seem fearing a life of endless haunting. So she had in this house a seance room, and sometimes she moved rooms to different bedrooms, um Mm -hmm. to do these seances but she also never slept in like the same room night after night she kept moving uh Mm -hmm. bedrooms again to confuse the spirits but we'll kind of get into it a little bit more but it it is pretty spooky but i mean seven stories is it like a tapered story where like each one that's higher above is like less floor space than the one below or is it more of like a brick house type where each floor is, like, identical in size. Um, yes. Yes is the best way to experience it. So we'll get to it, but a few stories did collapse after an earthquake. Um, but the way that the house kind of runs, it's kind of tapered, but also its own story. Um, we'll we'll kind of get into the unique features of this house. Okay. So just hang tight. 
So whatever the answer from these spiritualists were, Winchester never ceased construction of her mansion and continuously made additions and adjustments for the space for the sake of the spectral inhabitants. So part of that first initial spiritualist um, reading that she had done in Boston was she was basically told she could never stop construction, otherwise she would die. That was the rumor, or so to speak, that was said. So, oh, so she had she literally had to keep making changes, or else she was afraid that this prophecy would come true. Yes. So yeah. they she had a round the clock workers continuously making improvements to this house, or changes rather mm-hmm. than improvements, but um, in an effort to confuse any ghosts. Hoping to contact her directly, Sarah Winchester added several unusual touches, staircases that ended abruptly, windows that opened to interior rooms, doorways that opened to several story drops, and hallways that appeared to go nowhere before circling back onto themselves. Perhaps she hoped these ghostly apparitions would simply get lost on their way to haunting her. In addition to making some strange modifications, she also made uh, quite a few additions herself. Luxury fixtures adorned the mansion, including parquet flooring, crystal chandeliers, gilded doorways, and even stained glass windows handcrafted by Tiffany and Company's first design director, Louis Comfort Tiffany. So, very lavish things to put in this house. And I do have to say, the parquet flooring going through this house was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Um, Uh. I took a lot of pictures going through, and I just kept thinking back to my college days of when we we would paint wooden floors for the theater. And I was like, Jeffrey would love these pictures and all the inlays are really cool. And I just, it honestly, the floor alone was artwork in itself. Huh? It's crazy. Like it's both like luxury mansion and like side attraction madhouse. Yes. But also a work of art at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, so they're all blocked off in the museum now, but there was a two-story drop that went down to the basement kitchen from one of the hallway closets. So it was kind of weird. How did... This is just like a dumbwaiter type hall drop, or was it just like open space? Open space. Think of like a four by six like little room. Okay. Um, Yeah. And then... um, Again, we'll get to it at the end, but the way that they had to sprinkler this thing was amazing to get it to code so, like, people could, you know, tour it as a museum. Yeah. The sprinkler system alone was very interesting. Being a fire protection designer myself, like, it was it was very fun to, like, be like, huh, that's how yeah. they did that. I mean, that sounds like a complicated problem in and of itself. And all I'm doing over here is thinking, like, what would Kevin McAllister be doing in that house? Oh, he would go nuts. Um, I don't even know if he would need to do much. No, he really wouldn't need to do much. He'd just need to know his way around the house. That's all he would need to do. That's insane. Yeah. So some other interesting uh, things that Sarah did, she had many of the house's pillars and columns installed upside down because at the time she believed that it would be more load-bearing and structurally sound. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright also used a form of upside-down pillars in the design of his SC Johnson corporate headquarters campus. So this, what she did was kind of taken into account for a lot of future builds because it did end up being more load-bearing. The house was also built on a floating foundation, which most likely helped saved it from an extensive damage during a major earthquake that we had. I talked about how a few floors did collapse, but because that house's floating foundation, that it helped. Just, it can handle more stresses in that situation. Yeah, so if you think about like a foundation, like how we have in the Midwest, it goes down like about a story underground, and it's very, very rigid. Now, if you think about a floating foundation, it kind of sits on top of the ground. And, like, as it wiggles, you have a bit more leeway of the house to breathe and settle before it starts falling apart. Okay, so, like... Like, think of a building that's not anchored to the ground. So, like, as Uh the ground moves, like, it can move without disrupting it. Um, okay, so 
sort of like it's sitting on the top layer so that the bottom shakiness, it doesn't essentially shake the entirety of it. It just shakes the bottom and then the vibrations kind of lessen as it goes up the house. Well, it, it'll still shake the entire house. It's just not as rigid at the bottom. So like your joists and everything from that bottom anchor point don't sure right away from the vibrations okay so like so, you don't have that sheer force at the foundation which causes a lot of buildings to crumble okay i think i understand but let us know in a comment whether or not you understood that maybe hopefully yeah um there are a lot of if you just look up floating foundation earthquake videos on youtube there are a lot of like one minute demonstration videos on how that's taken into account today especially with like skyscraper buildings and wind mm -hmm. and everything is the same sort of kind of process yeah but just from another direction yeah yep but again it's all about like sheer points and making sure that buildings don't break so besides that, the conservatory upstairs is built so that all the plants could be watered at once. So it had like a built-in kind of sprinkler system with drainage ditches built all the way down to reach the kitchen sink to eliminate water waste and also be reusable. So it was very a green process for watering her plants. That was a several floor difference. So like possibly introducing a technology that would allow some essentially self-sustaining housing ideas uh just reusable water ideas so i mean that's pretty progressive for the time though yeah it was really progressive for the time so like if you think about how gray water gets reused today it's the same same sort of thing yeah and i mean in california being able to reuse as much water as possible is kind of a good idea lately yeah no you're not wrong there so besides that her home was also the first to incorporate wool insulation so, you know, insulation between the outer wall and the inner wall. Wall, She put all wool in there. Now, am I right in thinking that sort of like how NASCAR suits are like more fire resistant? Is wool fire resistant in a way or no? No, not at this time. Like they'll not have... Not at that time. They, there's another like thing they mix with it to make it fire resistant. Yeah, like now nowadays, like wool is like sprayed with either fire retardant or it's woven into the wool to like make it less for like insulation. Gotcha. Yeah, but no, this is just straight up wool. Dang it! I was really reaching for another progressive idea she'd made with the house. Nope. Uh, so Sarah also utilized indoor plumbing to build a hot shower and one working toilet, which was completely unheard of at the time. So indoor plumbing was not where it is today, but she had it in her home. Now, this is Wild West times where, like, you literally would bring water to a boil and then add that to a tub. Yeah. Yourself. Yep. So. A 1880s. Yeah. Hot showers was unheard of. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. The home also had a gas generator to run the house's electricity. Sarah had a push button developed to turn on the lights, and this was kind of very revolutionary. So think of, like, the light switch. It's basically the same thing, just with gas lamps. Mm. And and, or gas like electricity. Not, yeah. Like this isn't far from the, like, the electricity wars between Tesla and Edison, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's pretty close to that time. Yeah, so just as this stuff's getting developed, she's installing all of this stuff into her house. Yup. So besides that, she was also one of the first people to have steam-enforced air heating installed. And then one of the three elevators was electric-powered by innovative horizontal hydraulic elevator p pistons. So she had, like, a new elevator technology in her house as well. Mm, yeah. You said electric elevator, and after that, I, I kind of got lost. So it's a piston elevator. So, like, if you think about a piston in a car, a rotating yeah. crank, that's basically this elevator. But speaking about cranks, Sarah also designed her own indoor cranks to open windows. So she had a special, you know, crank that she designed for her, all of her windows. Like, 
unique to just her or is that like a style that we use now i so i believe the style we use now is came from this design so like if you think of uncle guy's house like the crank windows you know that Mm -hmm. were in his living room that sort of thing yeah wow though like just this house alone is a marvel really really innovated a lot of just the home living stuff i think yeah it really did um now in 1906 the great san francisco earthquake did cause three floors of the then seven-story house to cave in and then in a 1900 postcard of the place shows a tower that was also toppled by that natural disaster. That tower plus several other rooms were destroyed in this disaster. They were never rebuilt, but they were cordoned off, so like blocked off. And as for Sarah, she was stuck in the Daisy bedroom for about three days. And it was named for the flora motif that was in the windows the Daisy bedroom was she had to be dug out by her staff as its entrance was blocked off by rubble so Sarah was trapped in her house for three days after this earthquake so okay yeah earthquake happened a lot of the stuff collapsed she was stuck in the flower room yep staff had to dig her out and she just never rebuilt that stuff or just left it collapsed she cordoned off of it so like i'm sure it was fixed to a certain extent but she didn't want to rebuild that portion of the house or just so like rebuild it the way it was yeah so like when i saw it it was only a couple it wasn't all seven stories it was just a couple stories oh so like there were still collapsed parts today um, like, they're cleaned off or cordoned off. It's still, it only looks like it's a four-story building. Okay. Like, with okay. one of those being oh, the basement. Oh, so, like, it was literally, like, the top three floors collapsed. Yeah. Oh, okay. It wasn't, like, a section that was collapsed. I no. That was my mind thinking. So, it was just, like, it was seven, just, like, meh. I guess it's not strong enough to handle seven. We'll leave them. Yeah, like, they still cleaned off, repaired the roof, and, like, roofed over. So, like, it, it okay. looks like a house, but yeah. Okay, so, yeah. Yeah. Had seven, didn't last, decided we're good with four. Yep. Gotcha. So, besides um, that, a lot of kind of strange things are in the house. And Sarah really liked the number 13, so the Winchester house had many 13-paned windows, 13-paneled ceilings, as well as 13-step stairways. Even her will had 13 parts. She signed it 13 times. But um, a cool kind of niche, I guess, of the house is the 13th bathroom had 13 windows of its own. So she really liked the number 13. Now, if you go into the movie, she also nails cordon off do- doors 13 times so like 13 was very significant to her hmm. and uh just so you guys know 13 is a little odd for stair number or stairs because usually stairs are about uh rise over around about 7 and 12 so like if you think about flights between floors 13 doesn't really make sense but her stairs some of them were also adjusted to only be like two inches high because of her arthritis um, in her hips and everything, so she could easily step up. So that's why there's kind of like half landings and uh, several stair landings and everything. So like the stairs are a different size so that they would accommodate 13 steps. Yes, as okay. well as uh, shortened for her arthritis to get around easy. Mm-hmm. Yep. So some kind of more numbers and info. The unrelented construction had rambled over six acres. The sprawling mansion contained 160 rooms, 2,000 doors, 10,000 windows, 47 stairways, 52 skylights, 47 fireplaces, 40 bedrooms, 13 bathrooms, and six kitchens. It also contained three elevators, two basements, and one shower. But despite what the house does have... It's what it doesn't have that makes it interesting. As mentioned earlier, the house didn't have a master set of building plans. So the end result has flights of stairs, which led to nowhere, floors and doors and windows 
put them that were kind of located in solid walls. One of these floor doors opens up to a drop of two stories, like we said before, and the total square footage of this mansion is 24,000 square feet. Some of the more interesting rooms in the mansion are now like must-see spots on the tours. These include the $25,000 storeroom, which displays several artisan windows that Sarah Winchester purchased during her lifetime. At the time of her death in 1922, the windows were valid at or valued at $25,000, which is about $350,000 in today's money. And they're understood now because of the history of the house to be worth in the millions. So that's kind of very interesting. So she just has a storeroom full of money that would be in the value of these windows. Yeah, stained glass windows. Oh, stained glass. Okay. Yes. I was thinking like artistically etched or, or something. Nope, stained glass. A lot of the windows in the house are stained glass and they're beautiful. Oh. I can imagine it'd be hard to read in natural light with all the different colors. It might be, but I don't know if you get enough sun in and it's very sunny in California. Yeah, that's true. So, also kind of interesting is the seance room was near the center of the house, where, according to the stories, is where Mrs. Winchester came nightly to communicate with the spirits. She would have nightly seances there, and she would go from the seances and receive instructions for additional construction for the next day. So, she would have a seance, write up the plans for the next day for her foreman to work on. It must have been really frustrating to work for her. Yeah, considering, like, rooms would be completed one day and then they tear down and do something else the next day on that room that they just completed. Yeah, it's just like... <laughs> we're, we aren't going to be done. You just gotta accept that mindset. It's just like, this, this will not be completed until she is gone. So just whatever she says, we'll just work on that. I know photographs and cameras weren't what they are today, but it would have been really cool to see like a time lapse of each individual room on what they did with it and what it looked like as they were working on it. Oh, that probably would have made for like a full on docu-series, like one of the first like docu-series for HGTV, for sure. Yeah, but like think of how many times like each room was changed, like seeing all the different changes, how it was decorated and everything. You get you lose so much art like artesian work, artisan yeah. work uh from everything that got rebuilt and redone, but just all of it is just like, no, don't like it, something else now. It's just like, I put months into that. Yeah, no kidding. So Mrs. Winchester carried the only key to her seance room, which features only one entrance. But strangely enough, there are three exits to this room. There's also the Daisy bedroom where Sarah was trapped during the earthquake, a grand ballroom, an observation tower, and many different bedrooms, including Sarah's own room. But again, Sarah did move around where she slept. Uh-huh. Gonna have a question. Yep. One entrance, three exits? Yeah, so like you weren't able to uh, access the exits from the other side. Okay, so like they were doors that had handles to open them only from the inside? Um. So like you couldn't, if you think about like secret passageways and everything... Yeah. How, like, they're only accessible from one side. It's it's like that. Like, hinged mm-hmm. on only one side. Like, you can't, you know, open it from the other yeah. side. Yeah, like, there's not a way to force it open from your, like, the outside. It only goes a certain way. Yeah. Okay. Now, were they, like, full-on secret passage? You pull this candle as a lever and it opens up a door? Do you know? Or were you not allowed in the room? I know they were just kind of like walled, uh, like walled doors. Oh. Yeah. So like. So like, if you think like, um, I'm trying to think. If you think of like a wall pattern mm-hmm. and everything, like, or the White House, I guess, all the secret doors in the White House, yes. like how, how they seem to appear out of no, nowhere. It's, it's like that, where they blend in with the wall. Oh, and it's just like. The only latch to open them is from the inside. Yeah. But they still just... Do they lead to a different room that's adjacent? Or does it, like, they're, like, a tunnel? 
Uh, adjacent rooms. Okay, and you just you can't open into the seance room from those adjacent rooms because yes. the latch is just okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm following. All right. So now, kind of moving on from the house, I well. Actually, I want to talk about the house. We're going to side tangent off to the house a little bit. Because Matt and I took the nighttime flashlight tours. And flashlight tour. Yes. Oh so you go in after dark with just these little flashlights. And they have sound recordings for the tour that kind of give you like a play-by-play of each room and everything. And we were lucky enough to be behind some high school boys that got into a lot of rooms that you were not supposed to. So we got a bit of an extra tour because we were just following the high school boys mm-hmm. that were ahead of us. And it's a pretty tight tour. Like you're kind of you have you're right next to groups of people and everything. Mm-hmm. So and they just went off of the path. Yeah, they just went off the path, opened doors that weren't locked and all that stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which we did get to see a lot of rooms that were, like, part of, like, the day or master tour, I guess. But, uh, so, like, that was really pretty. Like, again, we got to see, like, wallpaper, like, wooden architecture. It was, it was very, very pretty. Now, um, like I said before, the parquet floors were beautiful. The wallpaper and the tile inlay of the ceiling was also, like, artwork. So, like, you just, you couldn't look anywhere and not see a piece of art. So it was a really, really cool tour. And it was kind of spooky being at nighttime, but there it was pretty crowded, so the spook factor was down a bit. But, um, but yeah, the two-floor drop down to the kitchen was very interesting because uh, it just looked like a closet door or like a regular door that you would just open and then take a step in, and it's a two-story drop uh, down to the kitchen sink. Just to the sink? Yeah, I believe the sink was right under it from my so memory. Like in that kitchen is just there's a hole above the sink? Yeah. Okay. That's weird. I wonder why. It's it's just what she know designed. I was that, but just like why did that stay? Yep. But um I again like she had staircases leading to nowhere there were windows that were in interior doors that you know opened up to walls it was a very interesting place and there is uh the seven landing uh staircase that had stairs that only rose like an inch and you just went back and forth all the way up to the next floor it was it was a very cool tour like i'm picturing with that description like hitchback style staircase yeah think of almost like a a ramp that you know goes back and forth like three times it's just that there's Uh, like little bumps of stairs basically instead of a smooth ramp okay so like a gradual climb but also would you be able to like go up them like head head first or is the are they like so far that it would be hard to actually go from like a single step to the next one that's going the other direction i'm not understanding your question because i'm i'm picturing hitchback where like so like you have several landings um and they're it's it's a wide staircase so like the landings are kind of side by side if that makes sense so, like, if you think of, like, a zigzaggy ramp, that's yeah. how it looks like. And you wouldn't be able to go from, like, it, skipping the stairs, go from landing to landing and just going up that way? Or? No, no, it's too too wide apart. Oh. And there's, okay. like, half walls, railings for the stairs. Ah. This is what okay. I was talking about, how the rise was so little for her arthritis. Yeah, Okay. Just like picturing, just like, yeah, it could be normal, but there's like maybe like a path that's she goes, but if you don't have the arthritis, you could just no. go up them quickly, maybe. No, it's very tedious to go up. Ah, okay. Good. Rich people stuff. Gotcha. Although Sarah is best known for what would become known as the Winchester Mystery House, she also left other marks on the world. Four years into the construction of the Winchester Mystery House, Sarah Winchester also perched purchased 
140-acre patch of land on what is now downtown Los Altos, California, as well as a nearby farmhouse for her sister and brother-in-law to live in. So she was building there as well. Did she, like, essentially found Los Altos then? Uh, no. It's just where her house was. I wouldn't say she was a founder. But you said, like, downtown Los Altos is the 40-acre, 140-acre patch, though? Yeah, it's it's where it is now. Oh, so it was just... Yeah, it's, it's just where, where the house was. So, like... Okay. Yeah. So, like, she didn't found it. It more just, like, she owned it, and then it was just built on top of that later on. Yes. Yep. Okay. So, while she lived at the Winchester Mansion during its construction, Sarah also maintained a houseboat in San Francisco in her later years called Sarah's Ark. Local legend claims that the Winchester kept the boat known as Sarah's Ark as an insurance policy for an Old Testament-style flood that Winchester imagined was coming in the future. The more likely explanation, however, is that the wealthy socialites that Winchester spent time with also had houseboats, so she got one as well. And the Ark was a way of maintaining her rich status. So, oh, so it was just like a status symbol. Yep, and she spent quite a bit of time there after that earthquake, after she got trapped in well, the house. Just, yeah, that, that's kind of understandable. It's just like, I was stuck in there for three days. I don't want to be there anymore. Yep. Yep, yep. So, kind of now getting to her death and in present time, Sarah passed away on September 5th, 1922 from heart failure at the age of 83 years old, and she was laid to rest beside her late husband, William Winchester. Her vast fortune was shared amongst her sister and many nieces and nephews, and some of her most trusted employees as well. She also left a substantial endowment to the Winchester Clinic of General Hospital Society of Connecticut for the care and treatment of tuberculosis patients, a clinic which still exists today. And that was for, like, memorial of her husband. Yeah, because that's what her husband died of. Yep. Uh, So, Mrs. Winchester's personal property, including the furnishings, household goods, pictures, jewelry, and papers, were left to her niece, Miss Marina Merriman Marriott. Now, if you watch the movie, she's the one that's with uh, Helen Miram in the Winchester movie. Uh, sorry, that that gets a little confusing. So her niece is Miriam Miram, Marion Miriam Marriott, and she stayed with Sarah Winchester as she got older in the Winchester Mystery House. Okay, so like she was the favored niece character person thing yep and that's why she got most of the household goods okay so like the closest that she had to an actual daughter yep okay so the home had so much furniture that it required six trucks that it required six trucks working nearly six weeks to move it all away the mansion and farm became part of an estate and both were sold at a later date A group of investors eventually bought the Winchester house to be used as a tourist attraction due to its size. And an interesting twist of the story was just how difficult it was for the new owners to count the number of rooms in the house. Mrs. Winchester didn't follow any any blueprints, nor did she have a floor plan laid out to be used as a guide. Reports are that workers routinely became lost in the maze of rooms during counts. Each time the final tally came up different, with a number ranging between 148 and 160 rooms. Yet to this day, these numbers are still disputed. Eventually, the house was declared a historical landmark by the state of California and is now registered with the National Park Service. The house is... Wait, 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 wait. It's now a national park? It's registered with the National Park Service. So, kind of yes and no. It's, like, it's not a National Wildlife Preserve Park or anything like that. But it's just, no. like, it's nationally recognized as, like, a landmark park. Yeah, because the house and, like, the area surrounding it, the gardens and whatnot, is considered, quote-unquote, park. Okay, so... Yeah. Historical building slash historical landmark slash recreational place not a recreational park like a private park basically the gardens around the house are really pretty so like that's why it's Uh, considered a park now it's really kind of cool because also this house is like 
located downtown. Uh, so there are skyscrapers literally surrounding the gardens and whatnot. So it's a little it's a little weird because you have this. Um, Quaint's not Classic. the right word, but like, like in elder, like a, a house out of its time, still in with a modern area. Yeah, and it's da- in a downtown area, so it looks mm. it, it looks out of place when you drive past mm-hmm. it. But um, it's a very beautiful home. And so this house has now been a tourist attraction for many years, with 110 of the rooms being available for the public to see through guided tour processes. And a new in-depth tour, the first one in two decades, will open or was open in 2017, taking guests into areas which have been shuttered for decades. So they opened mean? up a couple of rooms for those tours. So that was so kind of you... the master tour that I was talking about. Okay. Do you know how many rooms you toured? I don't. I know that the flashlight tours were less rooms than the normal tour. Um, But, again, I got to see a couple bonus rooms because I was following high schoolers around. Um, So we and I only figured that out like about five minutes left of the tour. We were told, oh, you're not supposed to be in here. And like, oh, we were just following them. They were in front of us. Yeah, and that like boys got yelled at for opening doors and we didn't see them opening doors. It was kind of really funny. Oh. Well, there you go. Yeah, so so we definitely got our money's worth, which was good. Yeah, blame it on the youths. Oh uh, well, we're just, you know, everyone was following each other in line, so we were just following the people ahead of us. Mm-hmm. It's a tight space. Many- because it's kind of like a conga line in that situation, so I wonder how many other people also saw more than they were supposed to. Yeah, I, I don't know, but again, but like they were trying doorknobs and everything, and I guess I, we should have figured that out, but we were just like, huh, I, I think they saw people go through the, the store, so that's why they're going through, and mm. we just figured that was the case. Yep. Yeah. Just didn't question it, followed through, it is fine. Yeah. So... We'll kind of get into a few haunting experiences. The Winchester Mystery House is now like a tourist attraction, like we said. Visitors and staff reported a number of paranormal activity. One notable spirit is a black-haired man pushing a wheelbarrow in the yard. Years ago, a man restoring the building felt a hand tap on his shoulder, but when he turned, no one was there. People have heard music playing from the ballroom. They've seen red balls of light and doorknobs turned by invisible hands. People have also spotted Sarah's ghost still trapped in her own twisted creation, wandering the house. Added to the creepiness is the number 13 carved into various places throughout the house, including windows, stairs, and even chandeliers. So a lot of the chandeliers had 13 light bulbs on it. And this is only a sample of paranormal things that I've said to have been happening. Um, so a lot of phantom construction workers, from what I heard, um, mm-hmm. a lot of balls of light. A lot of, like, invisible hands or feelings, cold spots, whatnot, yeah. kind of happen. I mean, one, just the strange construction of the house is going to disorient a lot of people in general. I'm, I'm kind of going with the skeptic mindset at the moment. Yeah. And then we're going to go into, like, the not skeptic point in just a second. But the strange construction could cause, like, a lot of different draft heating different situations that would be uncommon for people where like they go through a doorway typically they feel a slight adjustment between the different air pressures if there is any but with the strange constructions things aren't going to feel the same because it's not designed the same and stuff is going to feel different though you're expecting to feel how it would normally feel so that's what i'm thinking like the cold possible touches are the yeah. bunch of stained glass windows, though, is I think where most of the balls of light is, I'm getting, I'm thinking that so, comes from that. From my understanding of where those were spotted, they're, like it's in the center of the house, so like that's mm. why I don't believe that's there. Um, and not every window is stained glass. Most are, but not every window. Mm. Um, but definitely for the cold spots, just... The way that the construction is and the forced air throughout the building, that's definitely a possibility. Because, like, a lot of rooms were colder than others because of, like, hallways and just drafts of the house. Mm, Not to mention all the fireplaces. Oh, yeah. That's another thing that was beautiful. The fireplaces, each one was, 
like ceramic and just gorgeous, like gorgeous mm. glazes, gorgeous tile, gorgeous carvings. Uh, that was another thing I couldn't stop looking at was the fireplaces in each room. Wow. So yeah, but th- they also would contribute to drafts and stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Because like I mean, if you remember the Spooner House, the old brown one. Yeah. Um, it was always drafty in the living room, especially during the winter time. Like, it felt really cold around that fireplace. Yeah, until we put a fire in it. Yeah. Mm. Okay, okay. But construction workers, phantom people, and whatnot. Yeah, and I... seeing Sarah around the house. Mm-hmm. Essentially, doing, going full spiritual could be these possible things going on with her constant... Uh, I guess collaborations and just unifications between her mind and this will of the spirits she then became the spirit herself that would walk these halls well she also put her like life and soul into this house building it and changing designs every day too like I don't know the one thing that I just I think with an artistic mind, like every artist puts so much of their life and whatnot into their work. Like mm-hmm. part of them lives on. So whether or not there is a sp- spiritual world or whatnot, I could definitely see with how much work she put into this house, her leaving her mark and possibly her spirit with this house. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. And that kind of goes the same for the construction workers that they would see too. Cause imagine how many hours some of these people that were, Working on that house put, like, a lot of their life probably was in that house. Yeah. And, oh, I did forget to mention, too, but she paid her construction workers very, very well. So it was a privilege to Mm. work with Sarah Winchester, and they all kept her privacy very, very well from the tabloids and everyone trying to get in. So Mm. her workers were extremely loyal to Sarah. That was one part that I did forget to say. Ah, well, that does make sense, because if they were just everyday kind of people doing that stuff, they would get tired of some of the stuff she would be asking them to do pretty quickly. But if she was paying them well and just, like, treating them right, that helps. Paying them extremely well. So, like, think about it. She got equivalent to $26,000 a day. Yeah. So what was she going to do? Like she paid her all her workers extremely well. And like, again, a lot of the stuff was top of the line and everything. But yeah. Um, So besides all that, I just want to touch on the Winchester movie that came out in 2018 with Helen Mirren as Sarah Winchester. It is a scary movie. Um, There's a decent pop up scares and the creep factor is there for that. And um. I, I would recommend it. It's definitely good to watch just to see the house itself and to see the, kind of the lore behind the movie and everything. I wouldn't so say it's... Do filming in the house or is yeah. it replicated? Filming in the house. You get to see the weird staircase that I, I said um, oh. as well as uh, other rooms and like a lot of the 13 stuff like the 13 pane windows, mm. the 13 light chandeliers, mm-hmm. all that. So if you're having a hard time picturing the house from my descriptions, which, sorry about that, but, like, highly recommend watching the uh, Winchester Mystery House um, with Helen Mirren. Again, that came out 2018. Um, Good movie. Not that scary, but a good movie. So, yeah, and that wraps up the Winchester Mystery House. Well, all right, that's pretty cool. Not super spooky. I appreciate that. More, like, crazy cool. Yeah. I'm depressing, but crazy cool at the same time. I personally love the house just for the architecture feature and the art, artisan work in it itself. So Matt got that for me for Valentine's Day. Like we took a tour there and got to see mm-hmm. it and everything. It was such a cool house. So if you're in that area, highly, highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Um, totally worth it just like look at the floors look at the ceilings look at the artisan work in there like everything is old yes but it's beautifully worked like you're not going to see anything done like that today 
Um, so the house itself and how it was built was just extremely cool. And it's an engineering marvel, which I love. So, like, I get nerded out on how everything's built and how it all works and all that stuff. But, yeah, totally recommend. Yeah. 10 out of a 10 tourist attraction. Like, go see the Winchester house. All right, then. Well, I'm sold. Yeah. But, um, other than that, um... If you guys want some of our merch, visit violinvice.bigcartel.com. We have sweatshirts. We have t-shirts. We have tank tops. We have pens. We have stickers, too. So, stickers. Yes. Um, we did adjust prices now that I find uh, f- have found a better vendor. So just, you know, take a look at those. See if you like anything. And shipping prices are just with the USPS, which I ship through. So that's the prices reflected there for the shipping costs. But yeah, if you guys have any questions, reach out to us and we'll see you guys next week for another episode of Island Vice. Yay. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Violin Vice podcast. Cover art is by Colton Griffith. Music by Ann Bellary Beck. And research done by Corinne Drybelvis. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Violin Vice Podcast or on Twitter at Violin Vice. That's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E. No ampersands here. If you want to help support the show, please do so on Patreon at patreon.com backslash Vice. Or give us a once-off donation on PayPal with our email, violinvice at gmail.com. Again, that's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E. To keep the spooky stories coming. Thanks.